Hello and welcome back to Reeling in the Piers. My name is Gary O'Brien and this is where I get some of my very good friends on to chat and discuss all kinds of movies. Joining me today for our final podcast of 2020, it's Sir Courtney Lachlan and she's here to talk about the 1988 action flick Die Hard. So stick around, we hope you enjoy. Circa, you're back and 2020 is nearly over. These are two great things. Oh, thank you. I was going to be mean and be like, oh God, you're still here. But now you've you've been nice. That never happens. It's, look, it's Christmas time. Oh. T- today is Christmas Eve. It's my last chance to get on the nice list. Exactly. Yeah, this is it. Uh, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. It's good we're, to ha- all, we're clawing our way to the finish line of this year. <laughs> Getting there. Yeah. One... One Guinness at a time, I say. One podcast at a time. One podcast. Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> but okay, so you are here to chat about this alleged Christmas movie, Die Hard. What, what has made you pick this movie? Weirdly enough, this is a movie I really love. <laughs> like, people who know me probably that is wouldn't. so weird. Yeah, they that wouldn't expect strange. that of me. That is odd. Uh, and in my usual... This is becoming a trope that I only do movies pre-2000 on my episodes. <laughs> but, I like uh, it. It's good. I like it. Uh, I don't know. I just, I watched it. Not gonna lie. I watched it after watching a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and wanted to be like, why is Jake Peralta so into this movie? I watched it and I was like, oh, this is actually a really fun movie. This is a good, in my opinion, a good movie, but I'm not a film person like other guests you've had. <laughs> I don't. By, no. by the one person who's in like acting college, everyone else is having movie goers, So don't worry about that. Uh, but yeah, this is. I just really like this movie, and I do like thinking and teasing out the argument of yes, is it a Christmas movie? And this is where I pose a question to you: Does a Christmas movie have to be about Christmas? I would say yes. Okay. I I land on the argument of it's not a Christmas movie. Fair, I respect that because when. I think of Christmas movies, it also includes classics like Wizard of Oz and Sound of Music, previous episode. So to me, I can kind of file it away under that category of things I watch around this time. But yeah, it's not not about Christmas. It's about uh, a policeman who gets trapped in a building, taken over by terrorists and has to save the day. And it's very straightforward action movie. There's bad guys. We have our good guy. He saves the day. He is, it is difficult for him to die. <laughs> it is. Die they, they, they do try, these, they, these Germans. They do try. But yeah, like, like you said, like just, to, just to briefly touch on this Christmas thing before I get letters of hate um, <laughs> sent, into the, sent into really the peers at gmail.com. I, where I consider it is, it's, just, it's a story that kind of happens at Christmas rather than being yeah. a story that is focused on Christmas. And that's yeah, how I totally. kind of view it. And I don't care enough to argue it with someone. Like if someone really, I, I'm not. I'm not like it's not a Christmas movie, and I will die on this. You know, what I mean? it's yeah, very yeah. much like, look, if that's how you, fine. I just don't see it as one because it's like the way I. I was recently trying to think of something to compare it to. You remember when The Martian won Best Comedy at the Golden Globes? Yes, that's like that's what I consider like when Die Hard wins Best Christmas Movie. It's a movie with comedy in it, but it's not yes. a comedy movie. The same Absolutely. way this is a movie with Christmas in it. Like even like Home Alone, like you could tell that like is that technically about Christmas? And I'm like, well, yeah, it is because they go on a Christmas holiday and they're rushing back to Christmas, and this, there's all these emotions about Christmas in it. Absolutely, does Christmas move along the plot? And in art, in Die Hard, no. I mean, there's you could argue one point, but. 
you also no, we'll get there. It's literally to do about like sellotape, but an office has sellotape, so like you don't need it to oh, be Oh yes. Yeah, you don't need it to be Christmas wrapping paper. An office has sellotape, so that's fine. Otherwise it's well, just a movie that takes place on December twenty fourth. Yeah, well my thing was gonna be that it's their way of saying the rest of the building is empty, but I'm like you could have uh, just true. said the Sunday. out of office hours yeah okay so 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 we okay yeah so you've already kind of you already kind of walked us through a bit about the plot there anyway so what i might do is i might for both the listeners and most importantly me to remember (laughs) the names of the characters the most important man on this podcast exactly Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and just I'm gonna just run through the characters just a bit about them so you've got you've got a uh, fully follicled Bruce Willis uh, as John McClane. A brief aside, weird seeing him with hair. It just it's looks a different very... person. It ah, is. I didn't. Oh, even like the weird tuft of chest hair. It's just yeah, like I... he has a weird chest hair pattern. We also have to like. <laughs> I'm glad you noticed that as well because he's in. We'll, a... spend, we'll spend a solid twenty minutes talking about that later. Because he's in a he's in a vest for most of this movie. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah. So he plays John McClane. He's this New York City, uh, New York City police detective, and he's over in uh, California visiting his uh, estranged wife, who is called Holly Gennaro McClane. Mm-hmm. So Gennaro being her maiden name, she's like this high-ranking, ranking executive in this company called Nakatomi, mm-hmm. uh, which is where the plot takes place in this tower, the Nakatomi, the Nakatomi Plaza, or the Nakatomi Tower. Nakatomi Tower on Nakatomi Plaza, I think. Okay, uh, and so yeah, I guess it's, yeah, I don't know. Well, actually, first fact attack that is the 20th Century Fox headquarters, and that was being built at the time, so they just used it for uh, Die Hard. And then you've got, um, most importantly, then we'll start with the with the key villain, Mister Alan Rickman, as Hans Gruber, the ruthless leader of. On Wikipedia, it calls them terrorists, but yeah. uh, the. Um, the director, John McTiernan, who also directed something we previously spoke about in another podcast, The Last Action Hero, uh, he he very much wanted them to be thieves rather than uh, terrorists in this, just to kind of, because it was a summer movie, he didn't want it to be very, okay. like, seriously. But yes, you've got... Not that have, baggage of, like... Yeah, ex- just don't have to deal with that as well, like... Uh, then you've got... Uh, there's a list of the other guys, but uh, yeah. one, of the, one of the kind of the uh, other guys, his kind of second in command is this guy called Carl, and he's played by this guy called Alexander Good. Dunov. I don't know. <laughs> that was beautiful. Dunov. Do we have listeners in Germany? Uh, I think we had one clock in once. Okay. I, I don't know what episode, but I'd love to know that what if we got them back with this. Yeah. They were like, oh, yes, uh, die hard. <laughs> die hard yes. I can't do accents. Shut up. The Gruber, he's wonderful. <laughs> Then you've got Reginald uh, Vell Johnson as Al Powell. He plays this LAPD sergeant that's kind of in communication with John McClane through the whole movie. There's a few other ones, but like most importantly then as well, there's this uh, really sleazy executive in Nakatomi uh, with a beard that I'm quite jealous of. It's this guy <laughs> called Harry Ellis, uh, Harry Ellis. And then there's also a TV reporter who is the scum of the earth, uh, William Atherton as Richard Thornburg. Yeah. Uh, and, and those are kind of people I think we're going to mention. But yeah, those are kind else? of the named characters. Yes, you're forgetting my favorite, even though he gets like maybe two minutes of screen time. The limo driver, Argyle. Argyle. I love well, Argyle. Yeah, the point of his character. I have written down here, why is Argyle here? Yeah, no, he's he a horrible person. He's not a good worker. Like, like He doesn't want to be there, but it'll just cut to him in his limo, just drinking on the job. And I'm like, hey, it's Argyle. <laughs> he's making the best of a tough situation. Yeah, like it's it's just very weird because this movie from the off, mm-hmm. it was just very strange because first of all, I see 
Bruce Willis with hair. And I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> then he's on a plane with a handgun, and I'm like, that's just weird to see. Yeah. And then they're smoking indoors, and I'm yes. like, is this a, what is this universe? It's, it's so weird for me. And yeah, when he goes to the Nakatomi Tower to sign in and try and find uh, his wife at this party, they're like, you know, search for her on the screen below, and it's a touch screen, and he's never seen one, and it's like so futuristic and out there. Oh, is like, that a, was that a thing? Like touchscreen in the eighties, like no, the, no. So was it made for this movie or just? Yeah. Like, <laughs> did they invent it? <laughs> did they invent? Did they invent touchscreen? Maybe. And also, I'd say if you gave it uh, a couple of weeks and a lot of cocaine, you could get that Harry Ellis beard that you so desperately oh, want. It's, so, it's just the hair. It's the beard. <laughs> it's just the where he's like hands, Bobby. It's just that whole persona. I just if anyone knows where I can get a, enough cocaine to just be like that. How would Please you email how would... me at appears at gmail.com? So he's got some good hair on the hair ranking of Die Hard, and you don't like Bruce Willis's hair. Where does Hans Gruber fall on this hair ranking? Oh, that's uh oh, that's good. Um <laughs> It's not a movie oh, podcast no, anymore, it's a beard and hair podcast. podcast. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely Harry Ellis Harry Ellis then then, then Hans Gruber, I think. Nice. Yeah, because I suppose we all know Alan Rickman because we are 90s babies as, you know, Severus Snape. So it is sometimes weird for me to see him with the beard, but I suppose he's been in other movies where he's often villainous with a villainous yeah. beard. Did you know this is his first movie? I did. He was like in his 40s or something, wasn't he? 41. Damn. And he was very cautious to go over and like do a big movie and stuff like that. And uh, Smart man. it literally just launched his career. Just speaking of him being Snape, uh, there was a few <laughs> moments where I kind of heard Snapeness in his voice. Yeah. My favorite one is this the scene where um, John McClane will, uh, like kind of kills one of the henchmen and puts him in an elevator and sticks a Santa hat on him and like writes writes uh, a message on his um and one of the henchmen's so he kills the henchman put writes a message on the jumper and it says like. Now I have, what's it? Now I have a gun? Yeah. Is that it? Or now? I have now a I machine have a, gun now. Or now I have a machine gun. And then like, there's a last bit that, that's like a bit crumpled up. And Alan Rickman, our Hans Gruber, would then like pulls like the, the thing down to read what it says. And I've got, I apologize to anyone I offend with this horrific Alan Rickman impression. But it's like, her, her, her. And I was like, I love that. I mean, that's probably my favorite. Yeah. If this is our moment to do the bad Alan Rickman's, my favorite was, oh, um, oh here we go. Was it? I think he's talking about the suits. He just like because he's such like a suave villain, you know. Why is he wearing a suit? Because he's a suave <laughs> villain. He comes in <laughs> and he's talking to uh, the head of the Nakatomi Corporation about suits, and they both have these fancy suits or whatever. And or maybe it wasn't the suits at this point. I can't remember. But uh, he says, "I read the article in Forbes," <laughs> and I was just like, "Yes, I could listen to that line over and over." <laughs> Is this is this where he's kind of walking around the party trying to find uh, T- Takagi? Possibly. When he's because uh, he's reading out basically his Wikipedia yes. or whatever they have. <laughs> he knows everything about this man. He knows everything about this man besides what he looks like. Yes. And <laughs> oh, he's annoying with all the Asian men at the party. Don't worry. Yeah, that's what I was like. He's like, don't make me start getting racist. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yes, before we get too carried away, again, this is a very straightforward kind of plot but we'll go as chronologically as we can. John shows up to the party and he's trying to get back in his wife's good graces. You know, it's not even clear if he's going to be allowed to stay with her for the Christmas break and see their kids. He's like perfectly ready to go and stay in a hotel. He takes his shoes off because the weird 80s go-go yuppie man on the plane was like, 
hey, this made no sense because he was like, oh, you're scared of flying to help. Once you're off the plane, do this. And I was like, I don't think he's scared at that point. <laughs> but anyway, he takes the ground. Now. Yeah, he's in because he says like, oh, you have to scrunch your toes in the carpet. Yeah, take your shoes off and scrunch your toes in the carpet. So this I becomes don't... this is where we start the John McClane foot fetish hour because there's an awful lot of foot action in Die Hard. Was there? Well, I suppose yeah. Yeah, the, the feet become like a plot point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that and then. He and his wife have kind of like a tiff and he's like, oh my God, I'm messing this up so badly. And he hears the Germans break in and he very cleverly and quickly kind of hides away so that he's now taken hostage. So one floor has all the hostages from the party. The Germans are trying to get money from the Nakatomi Corporation, uh, breaking into their vault. And John is just like scuttling around backstairs and things, trying to save the day. Just... I have two things I want to talk about at, at length. Well, not length. One I just want to talk about, which I imagine you will talk at it with length. And I think we'll start with this first because I think it's it's been long enough. We've had you. This is your third episode now. Mm-hmm. And we haven't had you discuss music at length. And I think the music and the score in this so good it's actually and now that i think about it probably one of the ways that you could maybe consider it a christmas movie because they've got that ode to joy song yeah with all this tension and stuff and i just thought like the score for this i did i hadn't seen this movie in years and i only really listened like listening to it and hearing that score become so menacing i really yes. enjoyed it yes i'm glad you brought it up because then i'm not that weirdo who's like can i talk about beethoven <laughs> i will say circa grilled me for 30 minutes before this saying gary i swear to god if you don't ask me a question about music <laughs> she did not, she did yeah, not. for context uh before we met in our past lives as scientists uh music was my big thing so i played the violin and have done 12 13 years of violin and one of my first jobs in college was actually as a singer uh, so music, big deal. So I love that in movies. I get real nerdy about like movie scores and stuff. And the Ode to Joy in this is so good. And what they, what I really like is that they play with diegesis. So for our people, if music is non-diegetic in a movie, that's what the audience hears. That's usually the soundtrack. You know, Indiana Jones doesn't hear dun 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 dun. That's non-diegetic. But if it exists in world, that's diegetic music. And they play with that with Ode to Joy. Because so when we see Hans coming in, it's playing for the audience Ode to Joy with like spooky minor keys and it sounds all like tense and badass. And when he comes up in the lift into the movie, the quartet at the Christmas party are playing Ode to Joy. So it exists in world and out of world. When he brings Takagi up in the lift, he's humming Ode to Joy to himself. And when they finally break through the vault, it plays, but again, non-diegetically, it plays for the audience. And I was like, that's kind of just like a cool little winking at the audience back and forth, playing with making it this theme for Hans and the Germans. Uh, yeah, I had all that written down as well, guys, actually. Uh, I can't believe, like, when you said diegetic, I was like, one, I so know what that word means. Two, I can't believe she's taken all these oh interesting points. Oh, all your points on diegetic. Actually- that's really interesting that's actually really cool Thank yeah, yeah i, like I think so because yeah it's cool they like play it in a minor spooky theme when we see him first and then when he comes up the lift the party is still happy so they're playing it in the major theme but there's like an undertone of like Wah, and it's cool i like that and the other music there's good just like tension music in this, yes but there's not any big themes that we need to talk about apart from that i think yeah and it just it just 
brief aside, it is weird that Die Hard doesn't have a theme. You know what you think <laughs> about it? Like, there's a lot of things, like this, what, there's five of those movies now? That there's, like, they never became a... Yeah, God knows how many there is now. There was that, did you actually see, I don't know if just a brief, another, a brief aside from my brief aside. Um, <laughs> there was like, they brought back a lot of the Die Hard actors to do a, an ad for car batteries or something. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, look it up. It has like, I know Argyle's in it. I know John McClane's in it. And it's to sell car batteries or something like that. How? Okay. Yep. How the mighty have fallen. But yeah. Yeah. It was off. So there's technically five and a half Die Hard movies. So. <laughs> you got kind of battery ad. Yeah. Okay. And then the other big thing I want to talk about besides the music, I suppose, is we could talk about Mr. Mr. Bruce Willis himself, mm-hmm. the, the man that is hard to die, <laughs> John McClane. Hard to deadening. Hard to deadening. So what did you think of of, of uh, Bruce Willis as John McClane in this? Actually, I hadn't given it much thought. I feel like you have. You, I gave my thought to Bates. I have one funny thing to mention that I was hoping you'd say all the serious things and then I come in with the funny thing. I mean, uh, he, he tonally feels a bit sometimes different in this movie. He's like the wisecracker. Apart from that, I don't have much to say. I have one comment that I'm saving for the end. And okay. other than that, I just make jokes about his feet. <laughs> like that it's a foot okay. fetish. That it's a foot fetish movie. <laughs> oh, Tarantino Die Hard. That would be interesting. Oh I'd actually love to see that. That'd be unreal. Um, would you know? Yeah, no. How interesting, Gary. Would you like to see that? I would like to see that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so... I, the character was very weird. I didn't, like you said, Tony, he's very strange. Um, so you get introduced to him. He is one of the horniest motherfuckers I've ever seen in an action movie. He is literally staring at every girl in every corner and like, ev- like everything. He's looking at every girl. Mm. And then there's like a scene where he's like running by this like generator box that has like these naked women on it. And then oh, yeah. he's just like, he's walking by it, looks at it very obviously, and then keeps on running. And then later on, I think he's running past it, but he like, he touches it like as if like like, like a good look charm like, like, yeah. yeah and i was like but that's never paid off like i think it's to pay off that he's obviously hasn't maybe slept with anyone since his wife has estranged oh, him and maybe. he's like a bit frustrated with that perhaps but it was just it was just uh, it was just odd at times yeah um, it is totally yeah totally because like you have these as we said you were asking why is hans gruber in a suit but we have this like kind of high class villain and then you have this just like i'm a new york cop i like boobs <laughs> My name is John Flynn. I told you I can't do anything. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, like one of his quips that again ruins kind of a tense moment. He's like going through this like really claustrophobic scene and it's like that iconic he lights the lighter in the uh like ventilation shaft and he's like really squished in and he's trying to get away from these Germans and he just goes well, now I know what a TV dinner feels like. Yeah. And I'm well, like, dude. <laughs> no, he's not funny. He is not funny. No. A, like, there's no funny bit. The, the only bit of humor I, I got from it was when he puts the Santa hat on the dead guy. Yeah. Like, ho, ho, ho. That's <laughs> just more, like, that's just more fucked up than anything else. But there's, so we, he just tells all these awful jokes, which makes me think that someone else was meant for this role. I mean, you consider they pay, he'd only really done TV before this and they paid him five million dollars to do this which i would consider a bit of a gamble mm. and like i just didn't really he kept telling all these jokes there was one about like a jeopardy question being wrong it was just very strange yeah because he has he has the physicality for it he has this kind oh, of like, yeah he looks jacked in this. yeah that's like I, I can't remember bruce willis ever being i don't i never considered him to be like someone that was jacked but this especially the scene where he's fighting carl's brother mm. on the stairs and he breaks Neck. like he yes. i was like oh shit he actually, like, he's wet. like i don't know if that was actually him in the scene but yeah, yeah, it looked yeah. like it was 
you're like, oh, this guy's actually a threat. Like he could. Yeah, I him. got that from him. He's just not a funny guy. He's, yeah. just, he's just a horrible joke. They're like, you just be quiet and everyone else will act around you and it'll be fine <laughs> because Alan Rickman's here and it's okay. <laughs> That's why his wife left him because of all of his horrendous jokes. I wouldn't blame her. <laughs> <laughs> One day at dinner, he just tells an awful joke and she goes, John, we need to have a talk. Me and the kids are going to stay in California with my mother. <laughs> yeah, I got this uh, great job. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and and then the, the last two things I wanted to say about him, which I just thought was the character was weird. When he's in the limo with Argyle, he keeps saying everything like he's a cool dude looking off into the distance. Like, I don't know, Argyle, I'm just a man who's a... And he just, like, he's doing all these weird things. Yeah. And, then and then there's the scene where he's walking into the party and someone offers him a drink. He takes a sip of it. It's like this fruit, like punch drink or something like that. Mm. And he takes a sip and he's like, ew. And I imagine he's like, that's not a beer. And then like someone some guy comes over and kisses him. And it's almost as if like, it's the, the worst thing that's ever happened to John yeah. McClane ever. It was just this weird, like macho, like I'm a cool cop. And like, it's just, it was all very, and he was telling these jokes that I didn't really understand the character, but in terms of the action, he is yes. phenomenal. So, well, that, he's so good in that. Thankfully, in fights, he doesn't have to be speaking. He just needs to hold a gun and look good. It's like, there you go. Just stand around and look pretty. It's fine. Yeah. And, and, and apparently there was this thing, he was shooting some other movie at the time, which meant that he couldn't uh, be on set a lot or something like, or he it cut, up, it cut down his... Um, availability which meant that we got more beefed up roles for the likes of holly for the likes of harry for yeah. like we actually got that's actually character cool more. yeah so i kind of like i would hate to see what movie would have happened oh, if, he more <laughs> if he had more interaction with people more spoken yeah. dialogue holly is kind of great holly's a, a bit of an, un, an unsung hero in this but um so where are we kind of plot wise uh hans takes everyone hostage and he says i'm looking for takagi he finds him takes him upstairs and just like such a balder line, he's like threatening him. He's going to kill him if he doesn't give him the password to the vault with all the money in it. And he says, I'm going to count to three. There will not be a four. And you're just like, oh, you just know immediately who this motherfucker is. He's like, I will kill you. And he does. He just shoots him in the head. <laughs> and because, and, and, yeah, because they're trying to hack into this safe. And they've got the most tappity tap 90s hacker I've ever seen. It's so he's good. just. Like tap 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 tap. Yeah, I've disabled all the elevators. Everything's good. Like, it's just oh, yeah. it's all very big, clear infographics of like I have stopped all the lifts to floor zero to twenty nine, and then thirty to thirty two are clear. And you can see here on my graph, it's very. And he's wearing like an iron jumper, which I love. Everyone else is dressed like either kind of like tough guys or kind of like Hans Gruber in a suit. But he's like, I'm just gonna stay snug. I'm gonna be down here breaking into the vault. There is a. Ch- I don't want to chill. <laughs> December in Los Angeles. Oh, for sure. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, forgot. That's another reason why I think it doesn't feel Christmassy. There was no like. Yeah. There's no jingle jangle, snow lined no. streets, kids making snowmen. It was just like, oh, we're just in busy downtown California. <laughs> but it seemed it seemed like a great Christmas party. I was gonna say it all seems like it seems like great crack. I wish I was invited to that Christmas party. Yeah, <laughs> we have of course it's the eighties. And it's 80s business with a capital B. So when uh, they're trying to find Holly at the party, they go to her office and there is Harry Ellis just doing cocaine. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great bit later on in the movie, actually, because I don't want to jump, I won't jump too far and say why, but there's a scene where basically he's he's having a chat with someone and they're talking and someone comes over with a can of Coke and pours it. Which oh, which you could only imagine. He turned to them and was like, hey, can I have some Coke? And they went off. Oh my God, I never thought about that. <laughs> So good. 
So they're hacking in and they've killed Takag- uh, Takagi. Mm-hmm. And what's another great thing is the blood spatters in this are very, like, they're, they look fake, but you feel them. Like, I remember I actually winced one bit. when I think it's when McLean uh, gets shot in the shoulder, I think, or something. Ooh, yeah. And you literally go, oh, but you felt it more than I have with any other CGI like, yes, bullets exactly. or anything like that. Yeah, it's hard to do that right. It's hard to, yeah. or like to do that CGI well. I say that as someone who doesn't know the first fucking thing about CGI, but we're going to say it <laughs> But yeah, so, so they're, they're, they're trying to, so the hostages are still there. Uh, what's great is Holly has actually changed her, she's known in the company by her maiden name. Mm. And so that's why they don't really, they don't know that McLean and her are estranged or that they were in any way because previously there's a photo of her and him in his office that she pots down because she's upset about something. Mm, it's, it's symbolism. Yeah. So all this happens and it, it, McLean is going around kind of picking off the, the henchmen one by one. Meanwhile, Hans Gruber is still trying to get into that safe. He's trying to get, what is it, like something like... A, a, a crazy amount bond. of money. He says at some point $600 million. Hey, do you know what we haven't done actually? We didn't do it in the last one. Is there any way that, who can we get? Because I basically, I'm under a lot of pressure. It's Christmas week. I don't really have time to be asking future Gary <laughs> many questions. Can you think of any other that we could just ask that I could put this on them to tell us how much $600 million is in current day money? I mean, if we know anyone with a head for numbers, it is good Al Kean. Oh, that's a good one. He's going to hate that, but yes. <laughs> He's currently in Italy right now and we'll have no time for this, but I, I could be asked... <laughs> I think, hey, future Keen, can you tell us how much $600 million is in current, from 1988, is in current dollars? Thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, look, it's uh, definitely Keen here now in Italy. Um, same Keen that Gary definitely should have realised would be quite unreachable during the short period of time that he edits these. But sure, look, I'll, I'll, I won't keep you. Uh, it's definitely the $600 million US dollars from uh, 1988 is definitely $1.3 billion dollars. Um, so there you go. Uh, anyway, I'm going back to drinking some Guinness and eating some raw potatoes. Uh, at this point, so he, like you said, he's been picking off some of the bad guys and he gets one of their radios. And with this radio, he's able to get onto whatever frequency, whatever policeman frequency they have. You know, they're like bats. They just have sonar and he can <laughs> find a local policeman. But that's it. He calls, he tries to pull the fire alarm to get the emergency services to come. The Germans intercept it and they say like, no, false alarm, totally fine. But then he gets on the radio again and they're like, okay, let's go see what's happening down at Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, Reginald Vell Johnson as Al Powell shows up and it looks like he's going to walk away from the building. He's like, everything seems cool here. John McLean is freaking out. And he breaks down one of the windows and throws a corpse onto this policeman's car to get him to stay. And then that's where we get this, uh, the tension kind of ramps up because now the outside world knows that they're there. Yeah. And just just to go back, another kind of weird 90s thing I kind of hate it. Because there was a few like 90s, very cliche things in this where I'm like, ah, oh, yes. Hello. Oh, yes. We haven't said hello to the Hispanic maid yet. That's oh, clearly God. looking after these kids. Yeah. And what, another thing that annoyed me was it was very much like when McLean calls in to um, the police dispatch, well, of course it's two women that are like, what are you, we don't believe you. Like, oh And it's just like, but I don't know, I don't know if I was thinking too much into it, but it just came across as like, these two women were like, you're speaking nonsense. John yeah, these, these nags. 
obvious that why would he why would he know the frequency why would he be taking the piss and then they hear gunshots and then they're just like well i don't know i like i suppose we might get one guy we might get the guy you're totally right yeah the guy who's just you know buying twinkies at the convenience store but uh yeah the gunshots go off and they're just like oh what a loud noise that was terrible She's supposed to be like the supervisor as well. And actually, here's another fact attack for you as well. She um she actually gets a chance to redeem herself because she comes back for the second Die Hard movie. Oh no way. Stuart Test. Very nice. So not the same character. <laughs> no, not the same character at all. So or... I don't I don't know how big part is in the second one, but I like to think she got demoted. Uh, she got fired yeah. for, for not replying to John McClane, and then she had to find a new role within the air. Uh, yeah, she airline. has she has a career change, and like what's uh, like Final Destination, death follows her, Die Hard follows her. <laughs> <laughs> Great if there was just this character who kept changing jobs, and John McClane keeps finding them and just causing havoc, yeah, ruining their day. Okay, so yeah. Oh yeah, this is where Gruber, he decides to kind of speak to the police, isn't it? And he, to buy time. I like this because well, the first time I watched this, I was like, oh, he actually does have like, you know, friends all over the world that he wants to free from prison or whatever. He gets on the radio with the police and says, we'll let go of the hostages if you release all these people from prison all around the world. And we got a shout out to Northern Ireland here, but he's actually... What was it? There was another thing where she was, uh, where he was like, uh, he's like, I want 20 members of the Asian Dawn to be released. And then the, Carl is like, who are they? And he goes, I don't know. I read about them uh, as your line, as you mentioned earlier, he read about them in, in the paper. And it's just great. I just, I really enjoyed that element of the character. He's just like, look, I'm just, I'm, we're just, we're not terrorists. We're just, we, they think we're terrorists, but we're actually just here to steal these government bonds that are worth how much keen hi there you've reached for fuck's sake leave a message and i'll reply as soon as possible thank you but yeah he's just trying to buy time but i was like that's cool because when i watched it the first time i wasn't paying attention and i was like oh yeah he wants this but you realize in that that great line where he's like i don't know who these are i read about them in the paper let's pretend like uh we need them taken out of prison so this is where we also get harry ellis's big scene where he decides to become the man of the hour and try and save the day. I'll let you take this. <laughs> so your favorite man. <laughs> I, I just, I, lo- I just love, because I don't know who this actor is and he's obviously not gone. I don't think he's gone on to do much. I honestly, I, I can't say, but um, I just loved how much of a big presence he was in the movie. And he kind of gave it a lot of energy probably because of the cocaine. <laughs> and he was just like, he came in, he was like, and it's funny because he comes in, I think he comes in with that line where he says, hands, Bobby, which was ad libbed. So that's why uh, that's why Alan Rickman was just looked so puzzled as well because he was like, "Is this guy just making up?" Stuff? Keep in mind, it's Alan Rickman's first movie as yeah. well, so he's like, "What are you doing?" Is he's an like, American man. Is this what actors do? <laughs> he goes around with like the script and like a large leather bound book and with a quill. reads it with like a quill. He's like, "I'm from the I'm from the West End." <laughs> I am a serious stage professional. Yeah, so he comes in, he tries to strike a deal because he knows that McLean is the guy running around. So he's like, "Look, I'll cut a deal. I make deals all the time. I look at how much cocaine I do. I must be successful." <laughs> and he's like, he, he gets on the radio with McLean, and he's just, he's like, "Oh, McLean, I like, I'm, come over, like, come on, we'll sort this out." Blah. And then McLean is like. Shut the fuck up, you idiot. These are like super dangerous people. I saw them blow some guy's head off earlier on. You don't know who you're talking to. And then he's just like, McLean, come on, we're friends. Buddy, come on. We've known each other forever, wink, wink. 
Yeah, completely ignorant. Oh. Um, so eventually what happens is because he's that because that set that name is said on the walkie then the police then now figure it because it's all the same frequency for some reason I <laughs> yeah there's one radio yeah. wave if, it was, if the, this this plot would just be destroyed with the invention of the telephone or mobile yeah, phones a whatsapp group for the WhatsApp. terrorists <laughs> so uh, another plot point we haven't really discussed is that there's this news reporter or this um like uh uh, yeah this news reporter that's trying to get the hot scoop on what's happening so he heads down to the plaza he tries to figure it all out so he then hears the name mclean so he then goes off and researches mclean i this is so this movie's based on a book so i imagine this character is maybe given a bit more play in the book Mm -hmm. than in the movie because it seems like a weird distraction Um, yes and because he looks like another character i often forgot who we were looking at he looks there's the journalist the chief of police that's it yes the la chief of police i was like wait how who why are you on the cat? Why do you care about the TV show? It's like, oh, they're two separate people, sir. Yeah. They're just two men who happen to look like each other. And yeah, so he goes off and basically tries to find out more information on McLean. And then it's got a very long story. He eventually finds out who McLean is, f- visits the family with the kids and like with a camera. And it's this really despicable, slimy thing. And it's, oh, it's, it's, so it's quite terrible. interesting because I don't know. Have you ever seen Nightcrawler? No. I highly recommend Nightcrawler to both you and the listeners. It's a great movie about like the LA paparazzi and stuff and how they do anything to get a scoop and stuff. And that's this is what this kind of felt like in a very diluted moment. And then I'll come back to his ultimate fate at the end of the movie. But then, so they know who McLean is. And then, so. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Even I will bounce off you with that, with your excellent point. They, yeah, they get like right into the house and they get the kids on TV uh, being like, I want mommy to come home safe or whatever. And Hans sees this, picks up the photograph that's in the office and sees the two kids, Holly, John McClane, and is like, oh, shit. So Hans is able to use her somewhat as bait then mm-hmm. to kind of get McClane to come out. Uh, but just to go back to what happened to my favorite character, Harry. And so what happens then is he's trying to negotiate this deal. McClane's like, shut the fuck up, I'm not, I'm not coming out of hiding. And then Hans just shoots him in the head because he thinks... McLean and him are best friends and then like McLean is quite upset about it but at the same time he's just like okay well back to killing the Germans then I guess like yeah, exactly <laughs> he's like morally upset he's like oh I got a man killed eh he wasn't that nice and he was being sleazy to my wife earlier so like eh fuck him oh, he was being very sleazy so yeah having seen the uh, thing on TV putting two and two together after actually they don't wipe up Harry's body they just leave it there in this chair oh, yeah. which is again there's some pretty kind of like heavy not heavy but like there's some good gory not oh, gory <laughs> there's some good wounds. no i would i would say there is like like i was talking earlier about that blood spatter do you remember the yeah. bit where like mclean shoots the guy through the table i was like there's a guy chasing mclean who's yeah. like under mclean under a table this guy with a machine gun is chasing him shooting under the table just jump off the table mm-hmm. and you get a better clue because he can't see mclean ultimately what happens is he gets to the end of the table and a very tom and jerry-esque <laughs> thing he goes well now i've got you and then mclean shoots him like six times in the dick Or like, (laughs) to that area, still make it whatever PG this is. But I would say it's a pretty gory movie. Yeah, it's kind of surprisingly bloody in places. Uh, But yeah, so Hans has kind of put two and two together and he decides to take it into his own hands because half his team is getting wiped out. His own what? His his own Ah! hands. Can I get a rib shot, please? So yeah, half his team has been wiped out by this one fucking thorn in his side. So he decides to take matters into his own hands and tries to go find him. He goes up on the rooftop looking for him and he gets actually cornered by McLean. McLean has the machine gun that he got off one of the bad guys, but McLean doesn't recognize who he is. He just sees this kind of well-dressed man. And in that instant, Hans decides, okay, 
I'm going to pretend to be one of the party goers. And he does a pretty good American accent, but what is hilarious is he opens his mouth so wide to do it. <laughs> so what I, for me, this was the moment where I was like, this is why Hans needed to be in a suit. So he looked like he's at the party. Mm. So that's where, that's where I didn't get it. That's why I was like, okay, okay, he needs further plot needs to happen. But also it's English Alan Rickman doing a German, doing an American. And you can kind of hear yeah. it. He's doing an American, but there's hints of German, but it's also Alan Rickman. There's a lot yeah. of layers to it. And I was like, I like that. Fair play to him. Uh, yeah. So he pretends to be one of the guys and he's like, oh, I'm so scared. You're with them. You're the guys taking us hostage. And John McClane's like, no, no, no. Like stay with me and you'll be safe. It'll, it'll be fine. They get to chatting, you know, uh, they share a cigarette as, you know, bros do. And he says, okay, have you ever shot a gun? I'm going to give you this handgun. You'll be safe with me. It's fine. And then he reveals himself as Hans and he's like, you shouldn't have given me this gun. Now I've got you. And just that scene as well, which which is great um, when they're both trying to, you don't know who knows, as in like, you don't know if, if McLean knows that it's him or not. Like you're kind of left guessing. And just to go back to one of our previous episodes, the, uh, Matilda, about those kind of angled shots. Yes. Like they would show the scene as well, which I thought was just, I just found it really interesting that we were only talking about it in the Matilda episode you did, but they make a return here as well. Yeah, and I noticed that, that too. Un- unease. You're just like, exactly. It's like, does he know who I am? Should I know who he... Hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of distrust going on, you know. Hans literally picks a name off the wall of, like, a name of employees that he pretends to be. And at this point, this isn't... I promise I'm... Actually, maybe this isn't a kink-shaming podcast. But this is where Alan Rickman notices that he's barefoot. Uh, I, I think he makes some quip about it, but he notices that and he files it away in his bad guy filing cabinet in the back of his head for later he thinks he has a loaded gun that john has just given him and pulls it on him but john suspecting there's like double and triple bluffs going on here suspecting that he is a bad guy put no ammo in the gun and he is a bit quippy here it's a bit annoying he's like oh do you think i'm stupid i love the gun um yeah so then what happens is um alan rickman gets on the walk he says he's on the whatever floor get up here and then mclean is then chased and like you say he notices the feet so when they're shooting at like they're in like this office with all these like partitions and stuff with glass so hans is like go for the feet so that it's actually very funny because when bruce when they had to shoot this scene obviously they couldn't have uh, bruce willis running across in bare feet so they had to make these like rubber shoes that like were painted f- like they if you look at them they're like these rubber feet that go over his shoes <laughs> to help him like obviously not like pier- like pierce his feet and stuff like that so yeah really yeah because yeah they they shoot out the glass to fuck him up they're like this will slow him down this is so funny because obviously it's for the movie but alan rickman says in german to i think it's still carl at this point he's still yeah head they're, bad all guy. Carl, um, they're all carl <laughs> he says like whatever in german i don't speak german he says and carl goes like was and he goes shoot the glass <laughs> and i'm like you could have just said it clearer in german yeah. that's both your first language but obviously that's for the audience to be like aha and so we have John does have to walk across glass and we see him. This is another, yeah, kind of bloody bit where he drags yeah. himself into the bathroom and there's just streaks of blood coming after him and he's like picking glass out of his feet in the bathroom. And you're like, oh man, what I liked is he's not a spotless action hero. He is tired, he is broken, he is bleeding, and he's like, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it, the makeup team do a fantastic job of both his scars, but then also the costume team uh, with that with that vest that just de- degrades as it goes on. There's one bit when uh, when I was watching it here, and it just it goes from white to just this gray uh, brown color. It's after he's been in the vent, and he does like, oh, that got very dusty. And apparently there was like there were seventeen undershirts for the various stages of degra- uh, degradation. Um, so they, yeah, so they had to obviously have these seven. Now, I don't know how many copies of these seventeen were made, but they had seventeen stages. But I think Bruce Willis had like the most, the one that probably looks the most rattiest. <laughs> yeah, I whatever is like the most iconic one. But I think that's it's now in the Smithsonian as like the, the, the John cool. McLean singlet or vest. Um, so so then what happens then is um, they break into the safe. They get the they get the bonds. I think at this point, and they have to try and plan their escape plan because. Because the police are outside now and they're getting to the point where, you know, the FBI are involved and the two scummiest FBI agents that you've ever seen. Oh it's my funny God, they're terrible. It's great because one uh, one of my roommates was like, he just looks evil. Like, I don't know anything about this guy. He just looks evil. And, and I was there to be like, well, of course, it's Franz Scaramanga from James Bond's License to Kill. Of course, that's why you recognize him as being evil. Uh, but... Yes, I get yeah. this is you earlier with diegesis. This is me. Yes. So yeah, so they're looking to like proceed in advance and like Hans has this kind of goon shooting and has everything like well cornered off and then they have to organize the escape plan. So they kind of organize this distraction of having all the hostages brought up to the rooftop, which is actually rigged to blow as well. So I think he had planned to kill all the hostages with the explosion then, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Really grim. Um, and uh, which is, yeah, that's, it's kind of one of the darkest, more darker, because they don't seem like very violent people. They're like, look, because no. it's even that nice scene between Hans and Holly where she's great, by the way. And she's just like, she's look, so like good. she just comes across as like, she's not like, a, give me the, f- get us the fuck out of here. She's like, look, this is the situation that's happened. And look, we've yeah, got a pregnant she's... woman. We need toilet break. Like she's just being so logical about it. So calm, cool, cool, calm and collected. While her estranged husband is upstairs causing havoc. Yeah, it's great. They see Carl like throwing glasses against the wall and stuff. And he's so frustrated with everything that's happening. And she's like, oh, only my husband could make someone that pissed <laughs> off. <laughs> And I'm like, funny. She has lines that work, and he just doesn't. Yeah, no, it should have been the Holly Gennaro movie. (laughs) Yeah, and I have one thing that I I, actually the last thing I'll say, not the last thing. I just want to make sure I do say when the reporter comes like towards her to ask for a story with the camera. I I don't know why it stuck out to me. I don't maybe more so. I don't know what you think of it, but I love that she punched the fucker and didn't slap him because I feel like a movie in 1980 it could have just been like a slap, and he could have been like, "What's her problem?" But the fact that she next this guy right what he fucking deserved as well i really enjoyed that and i was like i'm I'm on board with holly i was like you're totally right she's just she's not leaving anything to chance she's like i'm gonna knock him out leave me alone i was just through a very traumatic event where i was like everyone was looking to me to help them yeah and uh it was great because it was great to kind of see like mclean is kind of handling you know, the, the terrorist and then she's kind of handling, like looking, making sure everyone stays safe and stuff. And yeah. obviously that is most jeopardized when the hostages are brought up to the roof and McLean then has to try and get them out of the roof. And he's like shooting at them to be like, get downstairs. They're like, what? what? <laughs> yeah, this- and they just like, shoot his gun and be like, get the fuck downstairs. This scene is so inadvertently funny because I don't know if they meant for it to be this funny. All the hostages go up to the roof to be, you know, they're definitely going to be saved and be rescued by these helicopters and they take Holly away again as bait to get to draw McLean out. But he runs up to the roof to try and find her and he's like, you know, covered in sweat, blood 
got a machine gun and he's just going, where's Holly? Where's Holly? <laughs> and I'm like, of course they don't trust him. And then he starts shooting at them to herd them downstairs. I'd be like, yeah, no, I don't trust this fucker either. Especially when it's the per- it's the woman who's been like looking after them the whole time. Like they're obviously going to be protective of her. Exactly. So we get that scene and then what happens is the FBI agents are kind of circling. They think McLean is one of the terrorists or what they believe to be terrorists, but are the thieves. And they try to shoot at him. But McLean then gets them all downstairs, gets all the hostages downstairs. And then the explosion is still going to happen. So he kind of ties around. He gets a fire hydrant or like a fire hose, ties mm-hmm. it around his and jumps off the roof and then kind of swings into the apartment uh into the into the office complex then but the helicopter with the fbi agent gets destroyed and it's a weird (laughs) message that you're like i know the fbi like they were dicks but they were still just trying to help as in like yeah they're still technically on the side of good in this movie (laughs) i was like so happy they died it was just very straight it was a weird emotion to be feeling in this yeah Sorry, actually, then another thing I forgot to mention. So before they all go up to the roof, McLean has a standoff with Carl, who, like, all the other guys, they're threatening in their own ways. But Carl is, like, the main, like, like second in command. You kind of, he's the most intimidating. And I think it's, he, his brother is one of the first guys McLean kills, which is why Carl is very, like, you know, dead set on finding McLean and making him, put, like, pay. So there's this really gruesome fight where it's McLean v. Carl. And again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about how like McLean is an absolute badass and how I was actually worried about Bruce Willis. I was like, oh my God, if he came up, I'd be scared of this man. He is terrifying. Because like it's in this dark part of the building where it's all just industrial steel stairs. They're just like throwing each other around. There's chains, there's guns, there's everything. And you're like, oh, someone like I, I'm, yeah, like you said, you're worried. I'm like, if I was in this situation, I'd be long dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, would not have lasted. Oh, That's I'm a- awfully squishy That's- like this one is. <laughs> Um, yeah, so what happens then is McLean eventually gets the upper hand and is able to kind of tie this chain around uh, Carl's neck and is able to like press this conveyor belt thing that kind of drags Carl away, but like pretty much strangles him like he's like as yeah. if he's been hung. And it's this really gruesome scene. It's so funny because you can also just see the little harness that they clearly didn't strangle the <laughs> agony. You can just, you can just be like sticking out of his like the back of his neck. But it's then they, you know, he's dead there. And all what I love is all the hostages just come <laughs> back the same way and they just see this man and they're just like i don't know none of them react to it really i don't remember any of them yeah. reacting to it but i just they're already it. seeing this man screaming with a machine gun and they're like oh a dead corpse a hanging body let's not fight him on this let's just keep going let's just keep going but also you must think of all the cocaine and drugs they were doing how much are they just like what the fuck did i take actually you're to- like this christmas party they must all be smashed uh, just like so much champagne like they must be so drunk i'm just drunk and scared <laughs> it, yeah it's just not and you like to think it's you know it's when he's clocking off the policeman is clocking off from his shift so you imagine it's late enough already you know mm. you're at the stage of the night where taxis are should be called and you, you don't you don't need this inconvenience on you but it's yeah. If we're um, riding in the office, it's time to go home. Yeah, exactly. It's reached that stage. But um, so, yeah, so then actually when he swings back in uh, after the rooftop exploding, um, which is actually a really cool shot. Uh, I, I thought that was, it was very 1980s, but I thought yeah. it was... Yeah, because he like breaks through the glass with his bare feet, you know, it's it's very like hero moment. Yeah. Like, Damn, he'll do anything to save the day. Yeah. So, um, John is still looking for Holly. He's gotten everyone off the roof. He assumes that yeah. everyone is safe off the roof. And on his way down to try and find Holly, she's in the vault with uh, Gruber and some of the henchmen. 
he sees packing tape for like presumably it looked Christmassy. It just looked like they had a big box of yeah. Christmas Christmas presents. Which again, this is the only point where they're like Christmas, but it just could have been sellotape. Uh, <laughs> he sees that and devises a scheme and straps a handgun to his shoulder. And he goes down to confront Hans and he's coming in just, this is him at his most beat down, grubby, wounded. And this is where I had to have a moment of reflection and worry about myself because this is the most attractive he looked in the whole movie. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, what's wrong with me? (laughs) He's just like limping towards them with this machine gun in hand, covered in grime. And I was like, why does he look better here than when he did when he came off the plane? Like, <laughs> But anyway, he's just kind of comes in and says, hi, honey, it's me. <laughs> they have the standoff. Gruber says he yeah takes Holly, has a gun to her head and says, drop your weapons. He drops it, starts laughing. And they're like, okay, this man is cracked. He has lost it. But they don't know that he has the gun strapped to his back takes out the henchman, shoots uh, Hans, but because he was holding Holly, they both fall back and they're hanging off this window ledge trying to kind of grapple. And I, I, and also just, just to jump in there as well, it's great because Hans has the bonds at that point. So uh, oh, when yeah, he goes yeah. out the window, they start like fluttering around in the sky. Yes. It's so, so obvious, just blank sheets of paper at the end. Like there's <laughs> nothing written on those pieces of paper. So what happens is, McLean is then able to kind of get Holly back into the thing, but because um, Hans is holding on, but just by Holly's newly gifted watch for Christmas, which is just this <laughs> weird plot point. I don't really understand why I had to do that, but he he unhooks the watch, and then because Hans has nothing to hold on to anymore, and um, he then he's not holding her hands. Rip shot. <laughs> And what's great is there's this fantastic shot. It's probably the most iconic, one of the most iconic of the movies where Alan Rickman's hands is then falling to his death and he's just kind of looking all worried. And I I, I didn't see it in the my, well, tr- uh, my trusty IMDb trivia section, but I think it's because, why he looks so shocked is because they said, okay, uh, Alan, we're going to drop you on three. One, two, and on the second one, they dropped him, which is no why way. he looks so worried as he's falling down. Yeah, because um, his eyes turn into dinner. Don't they? Like, <laughs> He's just like, in that moment. I'm he's like, way- I'm never going to Hollywood again. I'm not doing exactly. Oh, this is my first American movie, and they're going to kill me. Wonderful. I'll pass on the next one. <laughs> I'm 41. I've lived a good life. <laughs> um. So uh, yeah, and then he just fucking kaplunks on top of the he sure does. It's they have you know clearly a mannequin flying through the air uh, from the ground below. You get this shot, and he just—it's kind of great. They just do it very unspectacularly. He yeah. just hits the ground. There's no like every- other cuts. It's just cut of him falling. Next next shot, just all the way down. Kaplunk. Yeah. And everyone is just wincing. They're just like, Ugh, <laughs> that's not good. And yeah, basically that's the end. You know, we've defeated the big bad. Oh. Everyone gets. Oh, I'm end. sorry. <laughs> well, there's oh, the I don't know if you were getting to it, but there's my favorite bit where they, where you were right, as in it's what they perceive to be the end. They've killed all the. Oh, by the way, actually, just we'll wind it back thirty seconds. Theo, the guy who's the hacker, tries to escape in another van, and Argyle does his one plot point, which just stops him from leaving the van. But that is never picked up on again. I don't think we see Argyle. I don't think we see Theo again. Yeah, at the end, you don't of the see Theo though. They're just, just like, oh, we have a loose thread. Uh, what's Argyle been up to? Just drinking in the limo? Grand. Yeah. 
that's, that's sectioned off anyway. And then what happens is, so they all come out of the building and the paramedics and the emergency services are all there. And then Carl, who we per- believe to have been hung and dead, just kind of throws off a blanket of sorts. And he has got a gun in his hand already. And this is, and, and then he says, he's like, McLean! And then the uh, it, Al Powell, which is a horrible name to have to say. So Al, Powell. Al Powell. My good old pal, Al Powell. Then, <laughs> then uh, there's a whole side thing that we didn't mention where he basically was put on a, uh, like on this kind of night shift because he'd shot a kid or something. Uh, so the whole thing that he's worried to take another shot. So this guy's looking to shoot McLean. And then he, he then say, saves McLean by shooting him in the eyes, Carl, who I don't know. Did they, did they wheel him out? Yeah. Actually, yeah. Dead, How did he alive? get down from that chain? Did, Find so they, a gun. Let him down. So I think it was like the emergency services. But that doesn't explain. So if they have him on a gurney. Did they leave the gun like on top of it? Hand? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, rigor mortis, we won't get that gun out of his hands. It's, you know. What if the family wants it? It's an heirloom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carl rises like a cartoon vampire out of a casket. He just yeah. goes from lying down to standing up. McLean! And yeah, Officer Powell shoots him. Saves the day again. We've had many save the days at this point. Good old pal, Al pal. Oh, we see, we see love being rekindled. All it takes is a traumatic uh, event to get you and your husband back together. Look, sir, you, said it, you said it yourself. He was a good-looking dude. After <laughs> she was like, oh. Oh, okay, I remember why I married you just for this. Yeah, this yeah. is pretty good. This is pretty good. <laughs> uh, and then we just get like, there always has to be a final touching moment. Uh, John finds Al outside. And he's like, this is my wife, Holly Gennaro. And she goes, Holly McLean. And you're uh, like, oh, all their problems have been solved. Definitely no more problems in this marriage. Do they get back together for the second one? I don't think they do. I don't think so. I don't know. Is she? Because I don't think if Holly comes back as a character, I don't think this actress does. Because oh, I would have. You know I feel like I would have remembered. We could look this up, or we could we bother Keen on his Italian holiday for one more time to ask what Italian Keen. What, what happens to Holly McLean? E buongiorno, it's me, Italiano Keen. I like the Guinness and I like the pasta. To answer your question, come on, Gary. What the fuck? Oh, sorry. It's three in the morning. You have been doing this for two hours. Oh, oh, you could hear that? The door is open. It's for the acoustics. Please, just go to sleep. Fine, fine, fine. Hey, if you're up, do you want to play some Battlefront 2? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank thank you, Italian Keen. Um, I think I think that's pretty much it. Like, I think, I think that's mm-hmm. kind of... We, we kind of touched on everything. I think one thing I just thought of there at the end that we didn't touch on was there's a great chemistry between McLean and our good old pal, Al Powell. Al like Powell. That's a real good chemistry throughout the whole movie and how kind of protective he is, actually. Um, yeah, that's actually probably the only time when John McLean as the character, I'm not going to try and shit on Bruce Willis too much, but it's where his dialogue isn't quippy and in, I, I say that, but they have, yeah, some touching moments where they kind of share, like, I'm vulnerable, I'm scared, and Al is the only one who's like, no, you're doing great, keep up the good work, champ, because the LAPD try and take over, and the FBI try and mess it up, and Al is like, no, we have to trust this guy on the inside. Yeah, so they have some really good chemistry, and what's cool is they 
don't share like they don't meet on screen until no. the last 20 seconds they don't see each other they don't know what they look like it's very it's a cool kind of plot point actually just speak and just speaking of um people not meeting each other bruce willis and alan rickman didn't rehearse any of their scenes before the first time their characters meet on just to kind of add to that awkwardness oh, cool. and stuff uh so they never rehearsed that initial scene so they were kind of equally as awkward together um do you think bruce willis thought that was his real accent he was like i thought he was british <laughs> um okay so i guess we will end on our on our on the the scanlon scale which is would you recommend someone should watch it or shouldn't watch it i think overall still should yeah it's not high cinema but like it's fun because i think this could be my unique perspective but like growing up I was like, oh, I don't get action movies. They're not, there's nothing, there's no substance there. But then you get these gems and there are gems out there. And this is one that I am fond of because, yeah, there's, you've got compelling characters. You've got like physical stuff happening. You've got like little twists and turns. It's not just the Michael Bay thing of like robots and big explosions. <laughs> what are you talking about? Robots and big explosions are like the best thing ever. <laughs> They weren't uh, advertised to me as a young girl growing oh, up. Literally, oh, that new Yu-Gi-Oh cards. <gasps> yes. Uh, I'd be the same. I, I would say should watch it. It's not too long. I think it's about like two hours and maybe yeah. like 10 minutes or something. So like, look, it's 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 a it's a good action movie. If you don't like action movies, you probably won't like this. But like the performances are all good. Bruce Willis's character and performance, I think are somewhat iffy. But like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know if the other ones are better. I can't remember. But uh, I know they're particularly the, the most recent one or whatever. It's like A Good Day to Die Hard or something like that. I've never oh, watched yeah. it. And it's woeful. Um, but like, look, stick it on. If you think it's a Christmas movie, stick it on for Christmas. If you don't think it's a Christmas <laughs> movie, stick it on at Christmas and just try and poke holes in how it's not a Christmas movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have an argument with your family over dinner about is it a Christmas movie. Yeah, ask your, ask uh, any, uh, ask any like uh, male in your family that's like over the age of 40 what his views are on Die Hard as a Christmas movie and just, just buckle down. <laughs> that's the night's entertainment exactly um okay well circa thank you very much for coming back to this very special christmas eve podcast uh we have the last one of 2020 so it is number 12 the 12th pod of christmas oh that worked out so nicely it's a your gift this year is my opinions on die hard wrapped up with a bow (laughs) there we go there we go any 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 final words for our listeners have a great break Eat yourself silly, and we'll see you in 2021. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, thank you, Circa, again for coming on. It has been great. And thank you to our listeners. Uh, Thank you for anyone that's listening to these, by the way. I've had tremendous fun doing them. I can't believe I've done 12 already. I've I've done 12 hours of me shiting on about movies and getting my friends on. So it's been been a great amount of fun. So thank You you. You managed to convince people to come on for 12 hours and shout yeah, about that, movies. I don't know what's worse, convincing other people to listen or other people to come on. It's, it's it, Both are both are an uphill battle. But again, I truly mean it. Thank you very much uh, for people Thank listening you. to these and to Circa. And to the people who are following on the Instagram, to people who are following on Spotify and Apple. Um, have a great Christmas. I'm taking a bit of a break for these. Uh, they, they, they can be quite time intensive. So uh, we plan to. Be, I plan to get these back going again uh, in late January, anyway. And I'll let you know on the Instagram or such. And have a great Christmas, guys. Stay safe. And goodbye.